classic 80s metal. Symphonic death metal opera. But I've got to be in the mood to listen to Black Sabbath. Many of our listeners weren't even born then. Back for time, it was very progressive. I can see there are thrash elements. You are a metal paradox. A stunning vision of death metal. I would listen to it over and over and over again today. It just seems so dated. I hear this more as operatic and goth. Florianson will surpass Halpert as the iconic heavy metal singer. You're listening to The Great Metal Debate Podcast. Welcome back to The Great Metal Debate Podcast. We're here at episode 42, 2016. You can talk to us by tweeting at Metal Debate or send us an email to thegreatmetaldebate at gmail.com. I'm podcast creator Gom Thog, joined from decades in the past by 80s metal fan Brian. Brian, how are you? I am good. 80s dude, that sounds like you're maybe stretching into the 90s, a little more into the death, melodic death, even maybe uh, trying for a black metal screen. You know, I, you know what what happens there is I headbang while I do it, so it counts double. That that makes it good. I don't know if that counts double, but it counts for something, I think. <laughs> you, so can't, Brian, you can't talk to me about metal until you've got nerve damage from headbanging. I just don't want to hear it. Brian, speaking of nerve damage, I attended a show recently... Belfagore. Listen, I'm just going to ask, do we need to do an exorcism before we start? This is the first concert I've been to that was predominantly black metal bands or black metal influence bands. Man, I've got to take in more of those because it was an excellent show and excellent metal. Okay, so it sounds like there are two aspects to the show that you enjoy. Tell me about it. Well, there's just a focus on the black metal style, which unfortunately here in the U.S. we just don't get enough of. You had three bands, all of which really adhered to that style. The headliner, Belfagor, that Austrian black metal band. The undercard featured Abigail Williams, that Arizona-based American black metal band. And then you had the local band, Oubliette, who also has sort of a doom and black metal mixture. Yeah, I mean... You know, is I, I wonder, do, do you separate the doom and the black metal by content of vocals? Or, I mean, how do you make that distinction, even? Well, you might also call it atmospheric black metal. The tempo a little slower. But getting back to the black metal feel, yeah. I knew I was at a true black metal show. And long before the show started, I look over and I see a young lady. She couldn't have been 25, but completely in the corpse paint and really into the spirit of the evening. Was there a lot of that there? Oh, there were a fair number. I'd say it was a mixture of folks who were hardcore, black metal, general metal fans, and then, you know, a smattering of other folks. Right, let me ask you this. Because there's a traditional thought about black metal bands being in the corpse paint with the black makeup around the eyes and the white face paint. Were all three bands like that, or were they more about the sound than the look? Well, it was a variety of sounds. I think each of them had elements of the black metal. Not surprisingly, being from Europe, Belfagor adhered most to that classic black metal look and sound. They had the paint on. Abigail Williams, they're a different animal. It's really hard to classify them because album to album, they've really changed their style. And indeed, if you've heard my interview with Ken Sorceron from Abigail Williams, Uh you know that what they do live is completely different than what they put down on the album. How so? 
he says in the interview, and I don't want to spoil everything from that interview that's already up on SoundCloud, their songs are long, and so to fit in the set list, they do two things. Uh-huh. They cut down the songs, yeah. and they speed them up. I mean, you know, you have to do that because you don't want one song to be your whole show. You know, and knowing a little bit about them, I, I like their music, but I like the idea of also doing it a little bit different, a little more sp- sped up live. Quite different sound, but very entertaining. And, again, that local opener, Oubliette, they came at it with, again, more of what I would call an atmospheric approach. But the musicianship in that band is, is so amazing. I'm looking forward to seeing that Murfreesboro, Tennessee-based band again sometime soon, coming up in October or November. Cool, man. That's close. Maybe we could call them up to the house and we'd have a big party. It was something to experience. So many bands that really adhered to that black metal style. Now, I, that's great, man. That's, that's your style. I like that music, man. I, you know, I do have a genuine interest in the black metal because it's unique enough to keep my attention. I like that part of it. However, one of my favorite parts of that show would have to be the other band that you saw on that card. Tell me a little bit about that. You're talking about Origin. Yes, I am. We also have my interview with Jason Kaiser, vocalist and frontman for Origin, up on SoundCloud. He's quite a guy. He's a I mean, man. really easygoing when I'm talking to him before the show. Just couldn't be a nicer dude to drink a beer with. But once he gets on stage, he turns into an absolute animal. He's like a ringmaster whipping the crowd into a frenzy. And it's no surprise why a headlining band like Belfagor would want a band like Origin to be the entryway into their show because, again, just whipping the crowd into a frenzy and getting them to that excited peak before the headliner comes on. You know, I think I mentioned this when we when we talk, we've talked about We've seen them together before. It's one of the first concerts you and I attended together. And one of the things that he's kind of known for in the metal community was he, he was going crazy on stage and he falls or something and he stands up and he holds up his hand and his pinky is bent completely sideways. And he strains it back out and continues the show to the end. When I saw him, he completely challenged the metalness of the crowd. Like you said, just whooped them into it. And plus, that band is a shred metal band. Now, you talk about musicianship. Oh, my gosh. I mean, Longstrath is maybe the best death metal drummer that there is. He's so good. Uh, Just an incredible amount of sound that that band puts out. And and Kaiser can really bring it, man. I, I love him as a front man. If you haven't seen Origin live, regardless of what you think about their material on album, and I think it's very strong, it's so brutal and so intense, it takes a while for me to get into it. It's not easy listening, it's not catchy music in any sense. So it's going to take you many, many listings to really appreciate what they do on record. But live, they're just so brutal, they're just so, I would almost say, abusive to the crowd. (laughs) Yeah. It's it's something every metal fan should experience. Yeah, it's it's awesome, man. It was a lot of fun. And he's a fun guy. Excellent. We'll be sure to check out that interview with him. Hey, dude. So I'm really excited about our first song this evening because I love this band. We've talked to some of this band, uh, and it's great new music. Doesn't get much heavier than this, Brian. Our first song for the episode, here is Car Chaos with Let the Curtain Fall.
Carchaos is a melodic death metal band from Montreal, Canada, featuring new vocalist Vicky Boyer, as well as the addition of Blackguard drummer Justine Etier. Listen, guys, if you could let the curtain fall in Clarksville, Tennessee, that's the closest metal venue to me, that would be great. They are amazing, Brian, and I know that they are working on new material for a new album late 2016 or early 2017. I thought Carcaeus' album Empire was one of the best albums of 2014, and I'm so excited with the new lineup to hear the full album of new material. It'll definitely be interesting to hear the new lineup. Looking forward to that. I loved the Empire. It was awesome. Brian, we alluded to my conversation with Ken Sorceron, and if again, if you haven't heard that, Ken's quite an interesting guy, and uh, this may be one of the most interesting interviews, one of the most honest interviews that I've ever had with a musician. Yeah. He said a lot of things. I won't get into all of it. Uh-huh. Typically, we can get the record company to let us use a snippet of music in association with the interview. As you know from the interview, <laughs> we weren't able to get that because there was a good relationship, and he was pretty honest about that, and it opened up the question in my mind about just the relationship between bands and their own music and whether it's best for bands to retain as much as possible the rights to their own music and what the trade-off is when they essentially sell their music to be signed by a label. I mean, he hits it right on the head, man. If you don't have that good relationship, you're likely not to get promoted. You can have your music, you can make it your way if you own it, but don't expect a lot of support if you're going to do it that way. I mean, we had we interviewed a band, uh, we interviewed William Wallace, Bill Wallace, uh, the bass player for Stryker, and they did their own album, and it turned out pretty good for them. But that is few and far between with bands as far as that goes. As Ken mentioned, you know, there's just the issue about what's in it for the band to sell that music. Is it worth it to get some level of promotion, but also have heavy expectations and maybe not see any money from that? You know, he has the attitude of just F the record companies. We're just out here to make music. And I guess if you can live with that attitude, you're happy with that attitude, you're just making your music. You know, I got no problem with that, but... I don't know, man. Like you said, there's a trade-off. I mean, what are your thoughts? What do, you, do you think they should get their own music? It's a weird dynamic, Brian. Part of that trade-off is that today, record companies really are about putting together touring groups. Yes. So for a band like Abigail Williams to get to tour with Belfagor, that's about them being on a label. And if they weren't on a label, it's questionable whether they would have gotten to be part of that national tour. Of course, that's not to say that a band couldn't put together their own tour across the nation, but that then falls completely on them. And and so I do think there's tremendous benefits. Whether they outweigh the costs is an open question. Well, I'll tell you this. There are also bands out there that, that want to get signed by a record label, major record label. I mean, they don't live for it, but they start. Like, your chance to die. They do, they do regional uh, national tours and stay in folks' home, you know, and, and just play to get noticed because but they're really good and so i want to see those guys get signed i want to see them get uh and by the way they're coming out with a new album this year too but anyway i want to see those guys get signed and make it and so you know it's kind of it, it's tough man i mean you look at the like Brit, uh, Brittany slice from unleash the archers if you give me any shit about this i swear to god i'm gonna come there and kick your ass i wanted to be at that show but anyway they didn't get the national show in the united states until they signed with napalm records I mean, even Brittany talks about it in the second interview. And Brian, their signing launched them on that tour. I don't know if you got a chance to see them live, but oh my God, they were so freaking amazing. To see them in person, 
Britney Slays, like, a foot from me, headbanging, live experience. It was so freaking amazing. (laughs) I can't believe you're bringing this up. I'm going to catch them on the next one, I promise. Brian, to to me, the best thing for a band to do is put out their album independently and then perhaps sign with a label just a pure distribution deal where the label is going to distribute it in some geographic area, push it out there, promote the music, but the artists retain all the rights to the music. If a bigger label takes interest, they can sign with them to promote it, but they don't lose out anything. Yeah, I mean, and that's what, you know, we want the artists to get the reward they deserve for the record that they put out. That's what I think should happen. It definitely doesn't happen that way. Although, in today's modern media and the way that music is put out there and obtained by the fans, it's much more likely to happen that way than it is to have a mega album, mega million dollar deal and go on tour across the United States. It's one of the things I love about metal music these days. They're one of the most localized grassroots, kicking your ass no matter who promotes it. It's a deal from the heart, man, and that's why I love metal. Do you mean deal with the devil? Dude, I'm going to call your priest. We really need to do this exorcism. After the Belfador show, I'm a little concerned. Brian, we have another song for this episode. Here is Into Oblivion by Chariots of the Gods.
another helping of molten Canadian metal. That was Chariots of the Gods. Their album, Ages Unsung, produced with Chris Donaldson of Cryptopsy, is out now. If you're a fan of Trivium, In Flames, Children of Bodom, Kalma, then this is the one for you to check out. And this track, Into Oblivion, features Pascal Jobin from The Agonist, providing some amazing guest guitar work. Both of our bands tonight, Canadian Metal, I'm moving to Canada. All right. I want to back up for a little bit. Something you talked about just a little bit earlier in the podcast, because it brings to mind a question. You talked about all the bands that you like, the black metal and the subgenre, but you also talked about Origin. And to me, Origin doesn't fit your metal profile, if you will. They're not your typical sound that you like. You talked about how it took you a while to listen to it, but then you saw them live. You listened a little more. You're now a fan. I mean, what's that intangible thing that they have that draws you to them, even though that's not your particular style? And what do you think is more important in that? Is the style of music, the genre of music more important to you? Or just you like the band because of the things you really can't label? Brian, I think that's an excellent question. I was there that night at the Belfagor concert yeah. for the black metal experience. Uh-huh. And Origin doesn't fall in that genre. They were kind of an outlier. I, yeah. And indeed, their brand of brutal, extreme, technical death metal really isn't my thing. Yeah. And yet, I would count myself as an Origin fan. I think what they do is excellent, and I enjoy them live. I enjoy what they do on the album, and I would pay to see them again. There are other bands, a couple of local bands here in the Midwest that I really enjoy. Back in August, we both saw Beyond Duplication, again, a a band that has kind of a a very Americanized metal sound. Mm -hmm. Not my thing stylistically, but I really enjoy them. Another band that I've seen a number of times over the past year from southern Indiana, Caticus, which has more of a alternative metal feel. I don't listen to alternative metal. I tune in for Caticus. I would go see them in a heartbeat. Yeah. So I think that those intangibles for a band, what they deliver live and what their unique voice is, is very important. That said... I think style trumps those intangibles, that ultimately, I'm a fan of folk metal. I'm going to want to see folk metal bands over your average technical extreme death metal band. I'm a fan of melodic death metal. I'm going to want to see those bands over your average alternative metal band. I'm a fan of symphonic metal. I'm going to want to see that over your new metal-esque band from America. You know, I don't have a problem with you with you liking a certain style of music. You're very true to your style. I can almost pick your music for you these days, as well as I, I get, you could probably pick mine. But it brings to mind a question for you that, that I've always wondered. There are times when you go out of character. I mean, so you, you can't label the things for the bands that don't fit your portfolio you can't put a label on why you like those bands. I mean, oh, that's what no, I'm asking. I can put no, I can put a label on it. I can I can tell you why it is uh-huh. that I like them. Is it different it's for every just, band? No, there are specific things I enjoy about those bands. It's not different from it for every band. You and I both get dozens, if not hundreds, of promos for new bands and new music. If I check my email. My inbox is full of promos from different bands from around the globe. And I literally don't have a chance to listen to them all. And honestly, I look for keywords. If the keyword is new metal, I'm not going to waste my time listening to that. 
If the key word is alternative metal, I'm not going to waste my time listening to that. If the key word is symphonic or melodic death, heck yeah, I'm going to click on that and read about that band because I know that there's a much greater likelihood that music is going to be something I identify with. Come on, you big dick. See, that's what worries I, me, that one day you're going to turn up with all these bands that you're praising now and just not like them anymore. First gray hair you get, they're old, they're out, they're gone. No, as, as long as what they're producing is good music, I'll always appreciate or, that. Or uh, not from the last ten years. Well, I find that most of the good music comes from the last ten years, and very little from before that. Oh, my God. So the intangible here is that they have to be after the year 2000 for you, them to, like, for you to like them anymore. I would say that 90% of the time, that's uh, a good way to go, yes. Well, I mean, I mean, if you look at a band like Y&T, you that, know it. That, that doesn't even qualify as music. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Have you, heard, have you heard Mean Street? That entire album is freaking awesome. It is so metal, and you know it. That's hard rock at best, pop rock at worst. Nah, I take all that shit back. I don't want to know. I don't want to know about your intangibles because you can't explain it. That concludes the debate for today. Remember, you can listen in. All our content is at The Great Metal Debate on SoundCloud, also iTunes and YouTube. Also, join in The Metal Debate by liking our page on Facebook. Thanks for tuning in. Let us hear what you think of the debate. Until the next time, sell your soul for metal and defend it till your dying day. Hey!